How many people in the universe get to meet the doctor, let alone travel with her? Being with the doctor, you don't get to choose when it stops, whether you leave her or she leaves you. Welcome to the Trap One Podcast, Revolution of the Daleks trailer breakdown flashcast. I'm Mark. And I am Jason. So the trailer for Revolution of the Daleks, the upcoming festive special, dropped on Sunday, and we now know that the episode will air on New Year's Day. I think they just didn't want it to be tainted by 2020 at all, did they? I usually, especially at my age, I dread the passing of each year because I am rapidly approaching my senescence. This is the New Year's Eve that I have been looking forward to more than any other since... uh, the 1999 year 2000 switch. I am so, so excited about putting 2020 in the rear view mirror. Definitely. And granted, the first two months of 2020 were good, and then we got to the timeless children, and then everything just sort of fell apart after that. <laughs> because that air is what, late February, and then the pandemic pretty much hit America at the kneecaps around mid-March. My last day in the office was March 16th. Schools closed after March 13th. So you can pretty much draw a straight line from the timeless children right up to where we are today, sitting in the flaming wreckage of our respective countries. But in 31 days, we are going to have a new year, a new Doctor Who special, and a chance for a much better 2021. I think probably things are, are more hopeful in your country. The the new year for us marks the end of the transition period of Brexit and and probably uh, leaving without any kind of deal whatsoever. So there's, there's probably less optimism around here. But but it will be nice to see the end of 2020, which has been um, utterly shit as well. We have guarded optimism here in the States. Biden had the election called officially by the news networks on the Saturday morning. And we're in Brooklyn. We're right close to um, uh, Prospect Park, and there's a major park entrance and a traffic circle. So about five minutes after the election was called, we could hear horns honking and people cheering from outside. So we went downstairs, walked across the park to get to the traffic circle. Thousands of people all celebrating in broad daylight. And that party went on for a good couple of hours, broke for lunch, and then in the evening started up again. And it was very much like the way my grandfather, who was in Times Square on August 13th, 1945, described the end of the war celebrations at the end of World War II. So yes, ordinarily we should be elated. But with Trump, and of course there's going to be a Trump parallel once we get into the trailer proper, he is trying more and more outlandish methods of uh, tipping the election in his favor and trying to get the courts to declare him a winner. And it would be tragic if it wasn't so funny. Or, on the other hand, you could say it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. So he refuses to concede, and he is getting his followers to believe that he actually had the election stolen, even though he lost it by six or seven million votes. Crazy. So as happy as we should be, uh, it's still a really weird time over here, because you have this large chunk of the population believing that the loser of the election was the decisive winner and should be getting a second inaugural come January 20th. Very strange. Half of our country believes some some crazy shit as well, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see the celebrations. I was um, about to record, I was being a guest on a podcast with some Americans, um, and it was about 4 p.m. here on that Saturday when the announcement came that the uh, the press had called it um and uh, yeah for the american participants there was so much noise outside and and things going on that uh, yeah we had to postpone that one yes i believe that was uh, one of my fellow new yorkers that you were on the line with who was closer to times square which had a really immense celebration even bigger than the one here in brooklyn yeah that's uh, helicopters and, and all sorts of things going on i think yeah it was a great thing to show my 10-year-old. She was very, very excited. So it's living history. But of course, in the three weeks since, you have Trump getting more and more uh, bad 1970s Doctor Who villain. Mm-hmm. So he's some combination of Mavic Chin and Soul Deed. So speaking of people leaving their, their roles, uh, we've learned today that Bradley Walsh, 
and uh, Tosin Cole. This will be the final appearance in Revolution of the Daleks, and that the special will be 70 minutes long. It is interesting to write out literally half your regular guest cast in the special. Now, this was, I guess, a poorly kept secret because Tosin Cole had just gotten a big American show, and it was assumed he was going to be leaving. Mm-hmm. And Bradley Walsh, of course, who's like in seven different shows at once, was never considered to be a long-range fixture on Doctor Who. But I guess we can come back to this at the end of the trailer, which we'll go through minute by minute. But with so much of this trailer being spoiled, knowing all the characters that are returning, knowing all the characters who are leaving, with so much of the special revealed in the trailer... Do you think that this trailer is going to be a backdoor fugitive of the Jadoon? And do you think that when the actual special comes, we're going to get some surprises that weren't spoiled, such as possibly a new companion to replace the two that are leaving? Yeah, I wonder, because Chris Chibnall is generally very... He plays his cards very close to his chest, doesn't he? Um, And not much is spoiled and gets out ahead of time. So, yeah, like you say, Fugitive of the, the Jadoon being a particularly uh, good example there with the um, the reveal of, of Jack, but then the, the bigger reveal of the Ruth Doctor. And everybody was so fixated on Jack. And then, of course, John Bowman helpfully spoiled his appearance in Fugitive, I think, at 3.01 UK time before anyone in the States had actually seen the episode. So... Uh, the no. secret about him was already out when the episode started to run, and everyone assumed that was the big spoiler. But, of course, Chris Chibnall goes, hold my beer. <laughs> do you actually say hold my beer in England, or do you say hold my Guinness? Uh, we or see, do you not say it at all? Uh, no, we, we've got that expression. I think it's probably uh, it's probably been imported on memes um, <laughs> over Twitter and Facebook. But, yeah, yeah, we see that quite a bit. Which reminds me of the joke, the American tourist who goes into a pub and asks for an American beer, and uh, the man behind the counter pours him a pitcher of water. The joke being, oh. of course, that American <laughs> beer is water compared to... Ah, uh, right, sorry, I was, I was very slow there. There's a Monty Python joke, I think it's Eric Idle, where he says, um, why is American beer like making love in a canoe? Because it's fucking close to water. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have heard that before. I think it's on Live at the Hollywood Ball, actually. And let's follow it up by talking some Doctor Who. It's going to be really hard to top a couple of beer jokes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So we're, we're picking up, obviously, where the timeless children left off. The Doctor is imprisoned for we know not what crime. Um, I guess we don't know whether she's had a trial since then or if she's still being held on remand here. The very first visual in the trailer appears to be a sort of rock in space. And as we were watching this through before you hit record, you had a very interesting theory as to what that rock in space is. Yeah, it's very like the description of Sharda, isn't it? So it's either inspired by Sharda or it is supposed to be Sharda, maybe. Which isn't My canon, frame I guess. of reference for Sharda is in the early 90s VHS release, there was a picture of a, like a half eaten planet with a metal building sticking out of it. That's my recollection. And I know that there's been the dueling animated releases, which I have seen, but don't remember how Shada is pictured. The image that's shown very briefly at the one-second mark of the trailer is kind of sort of reminiscent of a high-tech version of the Shada prop from the VHS release, uh, the half-formed planet with the building sticking out of it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So if it is Shada and the Time Lords are all gone... Is it being run? Is it automated? Or have the Shadow Proclamation took it over, I guess? 
and who else is on board that we might see as a sort of celebrity cameo? Yes, we get these uh, these grid of holding pens, don't we? Where I think there's a pating in the one next to the one that holds the doctor. But giving further credence to the shot theory, if you look at second four of the trailer, it appears to be Jodie Whittaker being ushered into her cell in a red jumpsuit wearing a sash. And on the sash is written, it appears to be Greek letters, which would indicate the Gallifreyan language that we've seen on screen before. So either that's a designation of her prisoner name, or it could be a sign that this is a Time Lord or was a Time Lord prison planet. Oh, yeah. Not to read a lot into a sash that is seen for 12 yeah. frames of screen time, but that's literally all we have to go on, Mark. It's all we have to go on. That's a, that is a good point. And while this is happening, we get a voiceover and a... Uh, to my ears, a very, very familiar American accent. And it turns out that we are getting the second return of Captain Jack Harkness. And I guess this is where, because he's, what he's talking about is stopping traveling with the Doctor, that you don't get to choose when, uh, when, when it stops. So I suppose that is teeing up the, uh, the departure of two of the Companions. Which begs the question, who is he talking to? What's fascinating about this is he was left behind unwillingly as a companion in an episode that aired in June 2005. It has been 15 and a half years since he stopped being an active companion. Granted, he has had a much bigger afterlife than most companions since then. Mm -hmm. But his returning now is as far past his departure in 2005 as the departure of Liz Shaw would have been when you started watching the Sylvester McCoy era. So in Doctor Who terms, he is almost prehistoric. I saw people talking on Twitter about this, that for some kids it will be a character that their parents watched when they were teenagers. which, which A character who literally predates their birth. Yeah. Which just, just serves to make me feel really old. <laughs> That's nothing compared to how I feel. <laughs> uh, see, my, 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 my Doctor Who birth episode is episode one of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. That was the episode in studio literally on the day that I was born. I, I was between seasons, so I was just after the key to time season that I was born. So you were born in between seasons. I was also born in between seasons, but there was an episode being shot the very day that I was born. So I'm wondering if there was an episode in studio when you were born. You might have been, for example, born when they were filming location sequences for City of Death. That's true. I'll, I need to consult the complete history and uh, find out about that. Next time I'm back on your show, we need to have a discussion about this. Your, your Doctor Who birth horoscope. Yeah. And then at second eight, we get Jody sitting out of a window, looking out through a hole in a rock wall with laser beam bars. So it's definitely a prison in space. And and there's two elements. I, li to I like the shot idea. Yeah, there's, and there's two elements because she's got that cell with the with the uh, the laser bar windows that she can look forlornly out of. But then there is the the big holding pen thing, which is uh, maybe like an exercise area. Or something along those lines, or maybe the cell is solitary confinement. Uh, sorry, the, at, the, at the second six mark, you can see her in the middle. If she's wearing red, there's a Cyberman off to the lower left, and I can't quite make out anything else. Oh, I didn't spot a Cyberman. Uh... If you freeze your screen at second to oh six, it appears to be an Ascension era Cyberman on the left hand side of the screen. Second row of holding cells from the bottom of the screen. Right. Yeah, I do see that. And then there's a big green spiky thing. Maybe it's, is it Meglos? Is it a crinoid? If it is Meglos, 
nothing would make me happier. <laughs> because I didn't find out until long after it aired that the Lodger was originally supposed to have Meglos and the doctor didn't remember him. Yeah. And ever since then, I'm desperate for a Meglos return. So if that's Meglos, even for just six seconds... I told you my theory when I was watching Fugitive of the Janoon and they're driving to the lighthouse. And at that one moment, all I wanted out of life was for that to be the same lighthouse from the horror of Thang Rock. Yeah. Just the way my mind works. I saw a lighthouse and I said, please let that be the Rutan lighthouse from horror of Thang Rock. So similar here. If that green spiky blob is Meglos, I will be very, very thankful. Yeah, I think the only reason that they they didn't put Meglos in the lodger was because the there was something else coming up, wasn't there? That was too similar, and I can't quite remember what it was now. It was I don't remember oh, the name. Yeah, it no, was it, sort it, of the green cactus-faced pint-sized alien that shows up a few times during the uh, in the end of time, isn't it? Right, right. Because they were they were writing series five um, while while they were shooting end of time, and I think yeah that they um, they didn't want any confusion on that. That's that's the one, yeah. So. At the end of the voiceover, it's now second 11, and you have Captain Jack finishing his voiceover monologue. So it's a fair bet that he's probably talking to Graham or Ryan if he's talking about leaving the TARDIS. Yeah, or he's just consoling them, the fact that they don't know where the Doctor is, they can no longer travel. Because I think this is 10 months on for them, as I understand it. So as much time has gone by since The Timeless Children as it has for us, because mm-hmm. it's been 10 months since that aired. Um, now, speaking of sad fanboy references, looking at second 14 of the trailer, this excites me even more than the possibility of getting a backdoor horror of Fang Rock sequel, because look at the TARDIS, and look at the significant redesign that we have at second 14. So this is the TARDIS that the fam escaped from Gallifrey on, though, isn't it? That um, appeared as a as a house on a housing estate. It's not the Doctor's TARDIS, I think. It looks very similar to the Ruth Doctor's TARDIS. It has more of a, it's got the classic series console mm-hmm. with a bright color scheme. And if you look at the the roundels on the wall, those are the Pertwee-era roundels because they're sort of three-dimensional. Yeah. And the glass enclosure at the back of the set looks very much like a day-glow version of the old fault-locator alcove during the Hartnell years, which I'm in the middle of right now in my Twitter rewatch. But I would this is a TARDIS... I am much more a fan of the classic series TARDIS than I am of the new series iterations. Mm-hmm. So to have a classic series-esque TARDIS as the new normal, that would make me a very happy camper indeed. Yeah, that'd be great. And and maybe there is something there with it. It is, the I think, the same set they use for Ruth's, the Ruth Doctor's TARDIS. Is there going to be some kind of rug pull there, some kind of paradox where this becomes her TARDIS? Now, looking at second 16, you get a good shot of the fault locator alcove over Yaz's shoulder. It appears to be covered in post-it notes. Whose post-it notes are those and what do they say? And is that going to be important for the episode to come? Yeah, they've really been raiding the stationery shop, haven't they? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine the poor production assistant who had to get all those. (laughs) I'd like some magenta, I'd like some burnt orange, I'd like some lavender, I'd like some purple. No, no, make that cerulean. Yeah, it's quite an order. Yeah, and it's whether they are keeping track of uh, maybe suspected alien incursions on Earth or whether they're trying to find the Doctor throughout history or from strange things that are happening. And then at second 18, there's a shot of the TARDIS doors over Graham's shoulder. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely the Ruth TARDIS slash classic series configuration with the, the white walls and the, the blue roundels. So it's Beautiful, isn't it? If anything is getting me excited about this trailer, it's the architecture. Mm-hmm. Not the spoilers, not the twists, but yeah. the architecture. 
it is it's lovely to see the, the classic series interior uh, in the new series um as we did in hellbent as well that when the, oh. um the seeing the 12th doctor stroll onto the uh onto that classic set was was fantastic and then we know that clara and Ashilda are having unlimited adventures in that same tardis configuration yeah so now we come to the first, or I guess if you count Jack, this is the second big reveal of the trailer, starting at the 20, 21 second mark. We have the new look Dalek. What was the reaction in your corner of fandom when that DWM cover came out showing the new look Dalek? Was it a confusion, elation, anger? Uh, I think with with all things Doctor Who fandom, it was it was mixed, and uh, I think a lot of people I talk to regularly really liked it. Um, maybe some of the, the the hesitation was over it, maybe not looking substantial and chunky enough, uh, kind of tank like enough. Um, but generally, I think there was uh, it was very positive, and it's a re- this is a really cool atmospheric shot of it coming out of the the fog isn't it or the smoke it's definitely a cinematic entrance i was of the much more forgiving i like it i think this is a good idea but looking at the history of doctor who the dalek prop has always been tinkered with like i'm in the middle Mm. of the chase right now and the chase features a slightly redesigned Dalek because it now, instead of having a satellite dish, it has solar panel slats. You have you, you have universe-destroying monsters that are solar and green energy conscious, so they have solar panels. But you can imagine that the 1965 version of the Internet must have been infuriated <laughs> that somebody messed with the classic Ray Cusick design. And then, of course, Stephen Moffat redesigned the Daleks pretty much every single year when he was showrunner so having a Dalek redesign is not a deal breaker for me although so many fans were just taking it personally that I had to defend the new design whether I liked it or not but the trailer then gives us an in-universe reason for why the prop is redesigned and I think that the in-universe reason is terrific which brings us up to the celebrity guest star who comes into focus at minute or second 22 of the trailer and for those of us in America who have very anemic knowledges of UK TV, Mark, who is that? This seems to be Harriet Walter, who played a detective in the Chris Chibnall run Law and Order UK, uh, which Bradley Walsh also starred in the full run of, um, along with Peter Davison, Freem Rajaman. Um, she might be better known more internationally as being in The Force Awakens. She's a character on the Rebel base who is tending to Chewbacca. Uh, after a battle, but that's a it's a very brief scene. She's also in the recent remake of Talking Heads that the BBC did in this country, which uh, which was very good. Shot in lockdown because there are a series of monologues. Wikipedia also tells me that she was Mrs. Winston Churchill in six episodes of The Crown, which I watched all six of those. I have no recollection of there being a Mrs. Winston Churchill on the crown at all, but I would have seen her for six hours worth of television (laughs) and I just have no recollection at all. So cue back to what I said earlier about my rapidly approaching senescence. But this is a great shot. You've got a new prime minister in front of 10 Downing Street and you have the two new look Daleks with the cool blue glow approaching from either side of the screen. That's a terrific, terrific reveal. That's it. I've, I've said this a couple of times. Like they're like eye Daleks, aren't they? They're like the Daleks. If Apple designed them to be appealing to humans and and to look cool and modern and sleek, I like that. Are they are they five G enabled? Yeah, <laughs> they've brought the COVID with the five G. This was their master plan all along. So the COVID is the same disease that will be the forerunner to their invasion of the Dalek invasion of Earth. That's it. And then after after the brief shot of Harry and Walter, we then get at second 25, what I'm more excited about than anybody else. We just spent a significant amount of podcast real estate talking about Law & Order UK. And showing up at second 25 is Chris Noth, 
who was first seen in Doctor Who universe in Arachnids in the UK, playing a thinly veiled Donald Trump uh, riff. But he got his start here in the States on the first four or five seasons of the original Law and Order. And a lot of those episodes were repurposed as Law and Order UK episodes. So Chris Chibnall, I imagine, watched a lot of Chris Noth when he was preparing for his uh, work on Law and Order UK, which probably explains how Chris Noth winds up in the Doctor Who universe. Yeah, yeah, he became a big fan from watching that, or his, his, his connections with the... Uh with the Law and Order production office in, in the US, maybe uh, got him the phone number. Because he was in two different Law and Order series here in the States, plus he was in the only Law and Order two-hour TV movie. So he was part of Law and Order on and off for a good 15 years. Law and Order is a 30-year-old fixture here in the States. They are still making new episodes. It's all filmed in New York, and you are not an actor in New York unless you've been on Law and Order, which explains why I'm not an actor. Although I have watched uh, recordings from afar, if they happen to be recording in public places. And Law and Order started when I was in high school. And by the time I got to law school in the mid to late 90s, it was such a touchstone that our criminal law professor would use the previous night's Law and Order as a talking point during class. So I literally went to law school Mm -hmm learning the law through law and order. And when I was making my first court appearances in the late 90s, I didn't have much of a presence, so I would model my vocal performance on Sam Waterston, who played the main uh, prosecutor for most of the the law and order run. So to have Chris Noth show up in Doctor Who was a great, great moment for me. And then it turns out that he played... uh, poorly written character in a poorly written episode and hasn't been seen in a year and a half. That being said, I'm excited to see him back in the trailer and he appears to be instrumental in the propagation of the Daleks. So I am as excited I am about the decor, I'm even more excited to see Chris Noth from my show, Law and Order, coming back to my other show, which is which is Doctor Who. It's a very unusual crossover of universes, but it definitely has me excited. Yeah, so he's Jack Robertson, wasn't he, in, in the Arachnids in the UK? Um, and because uh, that was one of the one of the things from Series Eleven was uh, the the complaints that that a few people had was the way that characters like him were walking away unpunished. Um, so there's always been the speculation that he might come back. Lenny Henry's character from Series Twelve might come back. Uh, so yeah, I'm pleased that 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 has been followed up we get to see what's happened to him in the interim. It does seem like he's in league with the Daleks here. Um, either he's uh, allied with them or it's a, a victory. of There's a victory of the Daleks vibe, isn't there, with, with seeing a, a UK prime minister um, having the Daleks alongside them as allies. So maybe the humans have been tricked into thinking they invented the Daleks again. Maybe that's Robertson's role. Right, which takes us back to Power of the Daleks, on which Victory was a direct homage. So now mm-hmm. we're getting the a sequel to a sequel. Yeah. If Victory of the Daleks is a riff on Power, then Revolution is a riff on Victory. That's it. It seems to be going that way. And then in the, in the, in the interim as well, we had Harriet Jones, another UK Prime Minister, killed by the Daleks. But since Chibnall's scripts happen to bounce around from plot to plot, like a pogo stick thing with single scene subplots, you have to wonder how much real estate in a 70 minute episode is going to be taken up with this. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be, you know, a minute and a half of Daleks being subservient or is it going to build up slowly like power where it's slowly going on in the background that nobody notices except the doctor. Are we going to get that slow burn or is it going to be just a, a burned off two scene subplot? Yeah. Cause it, it I'm not sure where we are now in terms of uh, whether people know about the Daleks or not. Is it going to be that the, the fam are the only people, and Jack, the only people that know about the Daleks? I'm trying to think what's what's happened, because the, the events of Journey's End seem to be ones that nobody could remember after the events of Series 5, because Amy couldn't remember them, could, could she, in Victory of the Daleks? 
She couldn't remember that's right. about the Earth being but moved. That, that might have been because of the crack in time, uh, messing with people's memories. Yeah. I think there was, it was it's an effort. It's been a while an effort, since I've seen that. Yeah, an effort slightly to reset things so that humanity wasn't as au fait with aliens as they would have been after the army of ghosts and the Earth being uh, dragged across the universe and the different planets in the sky so that people would be skeptical about aliens maybe again and, and surprised. Um, I can't think what, what Dalek stories we've had on Earth since then. We see resolution. Wait. There wasn't. Um, there wouldn't have been that many people that, that saw it, but you know that it might not have been on the news or anything. Right, and then I don't remember when Dalek the series one episode took place, but I believe that was early twenty first century as well. Uh, that was set in two thousand and twelve. Ah, okay. So that's, that's already ancient history as far as we're concerned yeah. now. <laughs> So at second 28, there's this fantastic POV shot from inside the Dalek casing. And it's Harry Walter on the left, Chris Noth in the middle. And what appears to be a new character on the right. And they're looking in at the inside of the Dalek prop as we're looking out from inside the casing. That is a really, really cool shot. It is, isn't it? Yeah, we, we haven't seen that before. Don't recognize the other guy. I think he he must be a new a new character, not not anybody returning. My initial thought was that it could be Lenny Henry because we know he was a computer guy, but it's way too young to be him. Yeah. So well, unlikely to be him. Somebody like Jack Robertson that I would expect to turn up again at some point, though. Uh, the way he just walked out at the end of. The, the two-part opener to series 12. Right. And then we get a hero shot of the fam walking down a uh, London street, Graham, Ryan, and Yaz together for the last time. And then we cut back to Captain Jack. And I believe this is where Yaz gets in a brief dig at the Captain Jack's immortality. Yeah. That's a good point. Are they, I wonder if they are in London. We don't know where that house materialised, do we? Whether what part of the country that was in, because they normally all live in Sheffield. Oh, that's, good. that's right. You're right. You're right. And again, I I have spent a total of ten days in my <laughs> life in the UK, so I am the last person who should be playing spot the geography. <laughs> Cheerfully but withdrawn. I, I no, but I hadn't. I, I hadn't thought about that about where that house materialised, because that, wherever that is, that that seems to be where they based themselves. Looking at second thirty three, which is where you have the Daleks start to zap out of the sky. That is definitely a city street, and there's some sort of marquee on the left that I can't make out. But yeah. That could be a clue as to where we're supposed to be. We know that part of it is in London because we've already seen 10 Downing Street. Yeah, and that would make so more I'm sense. Able from this one brief glimpse, be able to identify that. That would that would definitely make more sense if it was if it was in London. Um, that the prime minister's there. Um, and houses are much more expensive in London than Sheffield. So if that if that TARDIS house landed there, then it's 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 a savvy investment. <laughs> we get the Dalek saucer, which is very much like the ones that we've seen since since series one when Doctor Who came back. And anybody who was upset about these, I actually saw the words sacrilegious used in a in a Facebook post. <laughs> but looking at these flying Daleks with the red burner jets on the bottom and the red lights on the casing. That just looks cool. Yeah. Now granted, I would like the Daleks to look as close to the Raymond Cusick design as possible because that's what got us here. But a little bit of a tweak to acknowledge the fact that it's 57 years later and that we have technology available that Raymond Cusick would have used had he had access to it. I like the idea of the glowing red lights and the afterburner jets. So this attack sequence about the 38 second mark in the trailer is awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. They look great coming out of the sky. And I, think, I can't wait to see that in the finished episode. Plus their extermination rate, second 40, is blood red, which is yeah obviously a big improvement over what they were able to accomplish in the Lime Grove D in 1964. And I think because earlier on, I think the Harriet Walters character describes them as drones. 
And I think maybe the design maybe reflects that a little bit more as well, which is it really brings them into the modern world, doesn't it? Which is that kind of modern warfare thing of uh, of sending drones over to to attack. You're right. So if the original Daleks were speaking to a post-World War II generation, these are the Daleks for the drone warfare, information age, WikiLeaks era. Yeah. Then again, I have no problem with the Dalek metaphor being updated to reflect modern times. There's only so many times you can go back into World War II. Especially as now we have... uh, the bad guys in World War II trying to make a spirited comeback here in the States. <laughs> yeah. But I digress. Here too. Because there was an interesting thing in the in Series 1, the, the two-part finale, the um, passing of the ways, where the Daleks were chanting about worshipping the Emperor, weren't they? And it seemed like that was sort of reflecting religious fundamentalism and, and the danger of, of terrorism uh, arising from that which is another kind of update, I guess, on the, their ideology and the threat they represent. So the Daleks are a very flexible metaphor. They can stand for any sort of boogeyman you wish. So now looking ahead, there's a good shot of Chris Noth laughing outside of a limousine with his uh, villain smile. Yeah. I'm sure that'll play into the episode. And now looking at second 43, it's someone appears to be standing in front of a furnace and we can see from behind them sort of an octopoid shape jumping onto them from the front. So who is that at the second 44 mark and is that a Dalek embryo jumping onto them, resolution style? Yeah, because there's another shot, isn't there, that seems seems to show that the the Dalek mutants are, are out of their cases and, uh, and then there's a very... Maybe it's an alien-looking building or piece of machinery. Oh, actually, I think it's they look like little tanks with Dalek with Dalek mutants in, don't they? When I look more closely, so this is this right, the green lit tower with uh, looks like tanks of liquid, and then yeah, when I look more closely, they look like Dalek mutants in them, like it's an incubation thing or something. Yeah, that's at the second forty-four, forty-five mark. That looks cool, but there's just not enough of it for me to get a sense of how it's going to play into the episode. It looks real. It looks really neat. It looks really neat. Yeah, I think I thought it was a building at first, but yeah, now I think it's um, it's some kind of incubation thing inside. Then at second forty-six, we get what appears to be Ryan refusing a Graham fist bump. Yeah, leaving him hanging. That's not good. Yeah, and maybe over over Graham's shoulder, there's that same sort of green lit um, type of thing that uh, that could that could be a tank with a mutant in it as well, which indicates they're possibly on board a spaceship. Mm. And then at second forty seven, as the cuts get faster and faster towards the climax of the trailer, we get Captain Jack firing a gun. And then there's a quick cut to a Dalek gun aiming right back at him. Mm -hmm. Which is how he was killed in the first place, wasn't it, before Rose brought him back? That's right. And then at at 48, it seems to be an embryo trying to jump up behind him and land on his shoulders. Although it's such a fast camera movement that it doesn't freeze on my computer screen very well yeah but i, I believe that's a dalek embryo leaping out to the captain i thought it was landing on and yaz. actually landing on him i think it's yaz is it hmm. it's very hard to tell like you say it's very quick it's oh you're right as she uh, uh, second 49 as she leans down it's definitely yaz because yeah. the hair's in a bun you're right, right. that is yeah. yaz but we know that Yaz is going to be staying on for series twelve, for series thirteen. So yeah, she's unlikely to sustain permanent damage in the uh, New Year's Day holiday special. True, but maybe she's possessed then for <laughs> for series thirteen. Maybe she's like a Turlo figure who's going to be uh, constantly trying to kill the Doctor throughout the next series. 
with a Dalek mutant on her back. That would make the angry Jody hating fanboys way, way too happy. <laughs> and the one thing that's been missing from this trailer has been the doctor. And now at the 50 second mark, we get the doctor sitting in her cell, uh, making cross hatch marks to count off the days, and a mm. prodigious amount of days have gone by. Yeah. She's either counting off the days or she's counting silence. But probably counting <laughs> off the days. Probably counting the days. Yeah. Yeah, so there could be some, some differential here. The the fam have been back on Earth for, for 10 months. Could be a lot longer for the Doctor. And does a revolution take place over the course of a single night or does it take place over a period of months? with the Daleks slowly insinuating their way into the seat of U.S. government. Mm. Only And will there days be a joke about the Daleks and Brexit, the way we had a joke about Brexit destroying unit? Yeah. And they hold well, the camera on the doctor for a good four or five seconds as she's uh, making the crosshatch marks on the wall. And she's talking to herself, and we see that her hair she appears to be growing in black at the root. I'm not going to read too much into that. Men should not be discussing women's hairstyles in the trailer. <laughs> but it's a different look for her, so I'm curious as to whether or not that's a long-range thing or just a reflection of how much time has passed. Yeah. It's, it's very – suggests um, that. But I mean, the trailer you, you can you can cut together to look like anything, can't you? But it, it, it the way it's all shot together, Doctor, in the beginning and the end, it it makes it seem like she's going to be absent for a significant portion of it. So yeah, that will be interesting to see how she escapes from the prison and and makes her way back to Earth to save it from the Daleks. And will she get an on-screen departure scene with Ryan and Graham? Or is this going to be a Dodo and the War Machines scenario where they leave <laughs> halfway through the episode and uh, they send their love and the Doctor is left to uh, huff and puff? Yeah. I think they've got a... They, they wouldn't do that in the modern series. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have imagined. No, you would want to have a long, teary, four-minute farewell mm -hmm. sequence with lots of honest emotions being discussed. Yeah, that's the lifeblood of the new series. That's, so that's more as neat as it would be to have another off-handed, off-screen departure like in War Machines. I don't see it happening yeah. here. Yeah, <laughs> just don't see it happening. And of course, since the Doctor and Jack missed one another in Fugitive, they almost have to have at least one major scene together here. Definitely. I think that's that's the long-term viewers are going to want to see here, isn't it? Is um, is Jack interacting with another new Doctor? We want to yeah. see them flirting. We want to see them arguing as they try to break out of the cell. Uh, we want to see whatever version of a measuring contest you can have between a pansexual immortal and a yeah. uh, gender-fluid uh, alien. There has to be some degree of flirting going on. We we almost expect to see that. So yeah, if you have them apart for the entire episode, you're missing a lot of opportunities. Definitely, but I think that's a really fast-paced, exciting trailer. It does the job. It really makes me want to see it immediately. Looks like there's going to be plenty of action in it. I really like the thing that started in resolution of the the Dalek mutants looking a lot more substantial, being a threat on their own, that creepy thing of being able to take people over and um, you know, kind of slither over their skin is is pretty creepy as well. As opposed to uh, Douglas Canfield's hand in a glove or wiggling a rubber prop yeah. at the uh, end of an early episode. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, there's just something a bit more muscular about them, isn't there now? A bit more substantial with the with the tentacles. In 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 resolution where the is a torch beam, isn't it? Sweeps across the wall and reveals uh, the mutant sort of stuck to the wall. That's a great little kind of jump scare. Right. 
And confession time, here's what I've got. I've only seen Resolution the one time when it aired, which would have been New Year's Day 2019. Mm-hmm. So my recollection of it, I should have checked that. They screened it during the Gallifrey One convention the following February with live commentary in, in, on the main stage. So I saw it once, and then I saw bits of it in a hotel ballroom. But my memory of Resolution at this point is very, very dissipated. So maybe I should go back and watch that again before Revolution. Yeah, I was planning to rewatch Resolution and rewatch the two-part finale to Series Twelve as preparation. And as an over/under, how many times in your recording of the podcast for the episode proper are you going to accidentally say Resolution instead of Revolution? Probably quite a few. I've been trying to get it right in this one. <laughs> <laughs> It harks back to um, the to the 80s, doesn't it? Having all the Daleks start his stories begin with R. Resurrection, revelation, remembrance, resolution, revolution. Probably missing a couple in there as well. Resurrection's the, the one as well where you've got the Dalek mutant that goes through somebody's throat, isn't it? There's a scene. That's right. Yeah. In the warehouse. Yeah. In the warehouse on, on the Thames. See, Resurrection was not counting the one scene in The Five Doctors. My first Dalek story proper was Resurrection. So I love that story to pieces, as poorly put together and as poorly remembered as it is. That was my first Dalek story, and I just love every second of it. So my frame of reference for the Daleks is always going to start with how I recall them from, from Resurrection. Right. Yeah, my first one was Death to the Daleks, so I, uh, I'm always very fond of that one. But I don't think it really feeds into this <laughs> into uh, Revolution. <laughs> no, there's not a whole lot of crossover, unless the Exelons come back. Maybe there'll be an Exelon or, in a cell next to the Doctor. Or a cliffhanger where the Doctor stops at a very strange tile floor and goes, Wait! And the camera crashes zooms on the tile floor and then end credits. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be uh, the best way to pay uh, memory to uh, <laughs> to the Dallas. My freshman year of college, we had one entire room of the dormitory that was a wall covered in corkboard, so you could leave, literally pin whatever poster or sticker or what have you onto the wall, just hang it up for the entire semester. And the first week during freshman orientation, they had movie poster and movie script and movie photograph sales going on on campus. So I immediately went to the sci-fi bin, and they actually sold on my college campus in Baltimore, Maryland in 1991 a single still photo from episode one of Death of the Daleks. Oh, wow. So for the entirety of my freshman year, there was a photo of John Pertwee and John Abenary and a Dalek standing in front of a series of styrofoam boulders. <laughs> and I spent a significant portion of my freshman year of college trying to explain what that was. Everybody knew the Enterprise. Everybody knew the movie posters. What is that thing on your wall? <laughs> it's a Dalek. But I was, able, I was quickly able to separate the uh, Doctor Who fans from everyone. I think one person the entire year was able to uh, name the monster, let alone name the episode. That's my Death of the Dalek story. Well, I actually discovered the new adventures that same semester. One of my friends was a sci-fi fan who was not quite as much into Doctor Who as I was, but was very familiar with it. And he bought the first two new adventures at an off-campus bookstore in Baltimore City. And I found them over Thanksgiving break, late November 1991. I was able to get Genesis and Exodus in a bookstore when I was back home in New York visiting for the holiday. So the same semester that I had John Abenary at my freshman dorm wall was a semester that I discovered the new adventures, which got me into the internet a semester later and got me into records Doctor Who and began my internet fandom journey. So a lot happened in the wilderness years. Definitely. Yeah. As somebody who only came to Doctor Who with um, midway through season 25, um, yeah, most of my uh, fandom and, and learning about it was in the wilderness years. Uh, 
So on a scale of 1 out of 10, Mark, how much are you looking forward to Revolution of the Daleks based on this trailer? Oh, very high, 9 or 10. It looks really exciting, really action-packed. I think, like you say, there's bound to be more surprises than they've revealed here with, with the return of, of Jack Robertson. Um, and it's, although Series 12 was earlier this year, because of the way this year has been, it feels like much longer ago, so I'm really ready for some new Doctor Who. It's literally pandemic ago, because it's literally been the entirety of the pandemic. I don't think anyone knew how prescient Praxius would prove to be, because... Ooh, try, try saying that five times fast. How prescient <laughs> Praxius would prove to be. Where did that come from, Jason? But that aired, like, that aired the same day that the first person in the UK died of COVID, and nobody knew what was coming. No, wow. And now here we are on lockdown ten months later. Yeah. How about you? How, how Your excitement levels? Yes. That's my answer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have some concerns and I have some things that I'm wary about because I have not been an unmitigated fan of the Chibnall years. I have problems with the timeless children. When you take a 75 minute episode and write the whole thing to explain a 45 second clip from the brain of Morbius, (laughs) you're not necessarily focused on great storytelling. That being said, there are some great opportunities for storytelling in this trailer. You have the Doctor and a prison planet. You have the return of Captain Jack. You have the return of Detective Logan from Law and Order. You have a new Prime Minister. You have New Look Daleks. You have a Dalek invasion of London. You have the departure of Ryan and the departure of Graham. You have Yaz potentially getting possessed by a Dalek. You have a New Look TARDIS. So that's ten things, ten unique plot points to this episode Mm -hmm. that's very exciting and it presses all the fanboy buttons and it almost tells you that there's something missing that's going to happen that we don't know about so there's probably going to be 11 or 12 or 13 plot points altogether including the 10 that i just rattled off on my fingers and there would have been more but i ran out of fingers of course Mm -hmm. but how do you fit all that into 70 minutes and tell a coherent story Or are you going to wind up with a bloated mess like The End of Time or a bloated mess like Journey's End or a bloated mess like A Good Man Goes to War or The Wedding of River Song or a bloated mess like The Timeless Children? Maybe you just have one great story and tell it one at a time. If you cram 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 critical things into a single 70-minute episode, are you going to lose the plot? and have so much going on that the episode becomes impossible to enjoy. Mm. And maybe that's my PTSD from End of Time and the Mafia yeah. Years and the Timeless Children speaking. It is possible that Chibnall is over-egging the pudding. But I would love to be proven wrong, and especially for a New Year's Day special. I want to see this thing. I want to get blown away. I want to be quoting lines for days afterwards. I want this thing to be perfect. And there's a lot of ways that it could be perfect, but there's also some indications that it might just be too much going on at once and it might be a tremendous failure. So we don't know. Traditionally, the Christmas episodes are quite standalone, aren't they? Because there's there's a lot of people, and in this country, I think a lot of people only watch the Christmas episodes. So it tends to be not very arc heavy. So don't think there'll be any timeless children type carryover. I think it will be fairly... You know, a new viewer would easily pick up the fact that the doctor's in prison. We we don't know why she's in prison yet. Um, She needs to get out because the Daleks are here. But you have to know who Captain Jack is. You have to know who Jack Robertson is. Yeah. This almost seems like an end of time part two or the New Year's Day special in 2020 where you seem to have to have a lot of knowledge about the series in order for everything to make sense. Because the last New Year's Day special ended with the surprise return of the Master in a cliffhanger. Yes, it did, didn't it? Yeah, that that was the the first part of the um, series twelve, wasn't it? Yes, that was Sacha Dewan playing uh, the Master with the salute to Terence Dix in the in the end credits. Yes. Speaking of Terence Dix, 
on a scale of one to yes, how much are you excited about the Series Eight Blu-ray release? Yes, very much so. Very excited about that one. The trailer looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, I love those uh, those specially shot things, especially with Katie Manning. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, I had just watched her two-part Sarah Jane Adventures episode literally the day before that trailer dropped. So I had a lot of Katie Manning on the brain. So I was really in heaven for a... She and Stuart Bevan had such great chemistry in that trailer. You could imagine they'd really been married for 45 years. Yeah. That's how good they were together. Yeah. Give them a series. Give them a a children's BBC series. There's a great meme... You see it over and over again. It's the guy walking down the street with his girlfriend and turning his head to stare at another woman who's walking by. Yeah. And his girlfriend is giving him the side eye. So one of my friends turned that into a meme. And the girl that's turning his head has the caption, Season 8 Blu-ray trailer. And the girl who's being left behind is Captain Jack Returns and Revolution of the Daleks. (laughs) So the season eight Blu-ray release might have preempted revolution in the minds of a good portion of my fandom circle. Yeah, I th- I'm more excited about the, the season eight Blu-ray release than Captain Jack's Return. But um, I am more excited about seeing Detective Logan from Law and Order on Doctor Who than I am about season eight. So yeah, that's it. I'm more excited about the episode generally of, of, of Revolution um, than I am about Captain Jack. <laughs> Definitely. But only 30 but, days to go. Sorry, 13 what? Only 30 days to go and all will be revealed. 30 days to go. A month from today and all will be revealed. And hopefully the BBC America commercial breaks don't edit out too much important material. Oh, what do they do? They cut it down to, to fit the commercials in and... and you don't just get the full episode, but broken up with um, with the breaks. I think there was a couple of times last year where they did it commercial free, right. but there are commercial breaks, and I I've never done a side by side. I believe there are minor edits. The most famous one is when the Sound of Drums first aired in the U.S. on the Sci Fi Channel. They cut out the line about Captain Jack having feelings for the Doctor, so that was edited out of the UK premiere. That was on a different network. I don't think BBC America is doing that level of uh, censorship. Right. But when they first started airing the Amy Pond episodes in the U.S., they had this special U.S.-only Amy Pond narrated intro to the episodes explaining who she was. Oh, wow. I never knew that. You might be able to find that on YouTube. It was kind of a good idea because that was the point where Doctor Who fandom was crashed by tween and young teenagers in America. So for them to have a special narrative intro to the series was a good idea. Mm. But if you look at it back now, you can probably find it on YouTube. It's probably cringeworthy <laughs> because it becomes the Amy Pond show and it's her show and she's narrating the opening credits. It was a, right. So that was only on, only on BBC America. I'll take a look. If I can find that, I'll put a link in the show notes. All right. So thanks for having me on to discuss the trailer. We did it in exhaustive detail. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we're many times longer than the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think we managed to discuss every single frame. Yeah. Definitely. That was uh, that was good. And it, it raises a lot of questions, which uh, I can't, can't wait to find out the answers to. Well, thank you very much for making the time for this. Yes, Um, thanks for having me. We'll speak again soon. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) 